You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey folks, have you been waffling about renewing your Access Fund membership or joining for the first time? Or maybe you're just feeling like you should donate some money because you love climbing and hate the government. Well, I know waffles are delicious, but now's the time to put down your phone, then pick it up again, but this time close TikTok, and go to accessfund.org because from the 4th to the 16th of December, Black Diamond is matching your donations up to 80 grand. Hell, if you've got 80 grand lying around, why not just cut the suspense and get this over with by donating all of it today? Black Diamond needs climbers. Nay, they are climbers. And climbers need climbing. Voila, this all makes sense. The Access Fund is our tireless guardian at the gates against closures, abuse, overuse, and overreach by the government. So hurry up and help Black Diamond spend its money to protect your climbing today. And if you hear this after the 16th of December, 2023, I hope the future is bright, but you're way overdue to join the Access Fund. That's accessfund.org. Join today. 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 Happy holidays from the Enormacast and Yeti. I'm going to keep this short. No voices today. You sure about that, Chris? Yonder, I told you to take the day off. Sorry, sorry, I'm going. Where was I? Do you need a perfect small gift for friends and family that will actually get used? Then look no further than the Yeti Yonder water bottle. Tons of colors, a few sizes, and now Yeti has introduced two new cap options. Lighter tethered caps and a cap with a straw that Kathy and HR will just love. Personally, I still prefer the bomber chug cap if you're asking. Anyway, the Yonder water bottle is just a nice idea for a lower cost gift. Check them all out at yeti.com or your favorite shop. And of course, tell them Yonder sent you. Chris! What? You got any beers in this fridge or what? Just a minute, Yonder. All right, I gotta go. Enjoy the season. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place. That's out. not a town. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll say, we really should... The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, La Sportiva and with support from Maxim Ropes. Maxim has been keeping the normal cast off the deck since 2012. And now, we can also thank the chill folks at Yeti. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and entry Normo at checkout to get a great deal on great coffee and to support the Normal cast. And now, back to the show. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is December 6th, about 10 p.m. here in Colorado, 2023. And this is episode 276 of the Enormacast, a conversation with climbers, alpinists, gentlemen, Jordan Cannon, Jesse Huey, and Matt Siegel. And what's on tap today is a deep, detailed, often hilarious account 
of their recent ascent of Trango Tower, aka Nameless Tower, and specifically the second ascent of Cowboy Direct, a route put up by Todd Skinner et al. in 1996. So 27 or so years between those two ascents. And this is a fun one because these guys are all friends of mine. Just letting these guys kind of run with their ideas, talking about their relationships, talking about the uh, interpersonal stuff going on on the route, but also details about the climbing, some good stories, and kind of a how-to in a lot of ways. These guys were relatively unsupported on the Trango, just up there, the three of them, getting it done. But before we get to that, I will make an announcement. The long shuttered shop over there at enormacast.com is open for a very moderate sliver of business. Um, I gave up on doing merch because it's a huge pain in the ass. <laughs> doesn't really pay off, you know? I mean, you put up a shop on your site, you got to pay sales tax, file sales tax. You got to run your shop, which always is crashing your site. You got to deal with customers having problems with their cars, blah, 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 packing it, shipping it. Anyway, the margins were pretty low, but I decided to go for it. I have a few t-shirts left over there, really bad sizes. But have a look, small men's, couple few women's left. Just getting rid of those. They're priced to sell. You might be a little disappointed in your sizing choices. But, you know, if you have a kid who wants a t-shirt, they're there. But I also have a new product over there. I've got the Bromuda Triangle Drinking Game koozies up. And that's the new item. That's the reason I reopened the shop. So what's the Bromuda Triangle Drinking Game? Well, some of you deep, long listeners know what I'm talking about. But go check it out if you're curious. And also, koozies are relatively inexpensive and make a nice little gift for the Enorma fan in your life this Christmas, or Kwanzaa, or Festivus, or Hanukkah, although Hanukkah, I think, starts tonight or tomorrow night, so might be too late to get. Well, actually, if you ordered them right away, I might be able to get them to you by the end of the, uh, is it eight days? By the end, they might show up on the eighth day. I'm not that familiar with the tradition, but nevertheless, if you're not into any of that shit, well then just buy one because it's December and it's ice climbing season. I don't know. All right. The shop, normacast.com. Click on shop. It's janky, but you can get what you need. Also, you can pay for stickers over there, even though I generally give them away for free. A lot of people try to pay me for them anyway, which is nice, nice of you, especially because I just had to send out or in the middle of sending out like hundreds right now which I wasn't expecting when I put them on the internet, the new sticker, the tattoo sticker. So if you're the kind of person that feels guilty about free stickers, well, you can go buy some over there. And for the moment, I'm like overwhelmed with sticker requests, so fucking chill out. But I will try to get them to you by the 25th of December. Oh, and I tried to set it up for like Europe and Canada. Uh, I might have. It might be working. I have no idea actually, until someone tries to buy something. I'm sure it probably cost me like 50 bucks to send you guys a fucking koozie to Latvia or whatever. So I don't know. If you want something like that, maybe it'd be better just to get in touch with me. In the US, I'll give you free shipping though. Huh? Huh? Who's your boy? All right, one last little moment of commerce here. Don't forget that this holiday season, you can buy gifts for your friends from a couple of climbers. Namely, Peter W. Gilroy and Blaze Specs. Okay, those coupon codes still work. Haven't been hitting them that hard in the last half of the year because I brought Yeti on board and, you know, three commercials is more than enough. 
but peterwgilroy.com has not sold out. It's still just a small business. Peter's a climber. He makes amazing accessories, amazing jewelry. I mean, gifts of all sort of price points from thousands of dollars down to uh, tens of dollars to get uh, to get a hat or something. So don't forget peterwgilroy.com, entry normo at checkout, and also don't forget belayspecs.com. Is, do you have anyone in your life still staring up at the cliff with their neck bent like an idiot? Then get them some belayspecs. You can still get a discount over there by entering in normocast, belayspecs.com. All right, support those guys. Just dudes doing it. No big corporate thing there. All right, let's get to the interview. It's actually just the first two-thirds of the interview. I'm going to put the second part of it out as a tweener. It'll be out in a couple days. Actually, I won't wait two weeks, so don't worry. This installment goes right up till they get to the summit, pretty much. And the second installment is a lot of reflection and also the descent, which, uh, as most of you know from reading the stories, if not doing the deeds, the descent is at least half the battle. So there's some interesting stories in the second half. So they'll pop right out on your feet over the next couple of days. So look for that. Hope you enjoy this. It was a lot of fun to record. I just kind of sat back and listened a lot, actually, as these three guys kind of had revelations that even they didn't know about each other, which was a lot of fun to watch. So I hope you dig it. And one last thing before we go is it's that time of year where Sportiva and they're just Deep, deep kindness and love of the Enormacast. Let me embarrass myself with this particular ad that's coming up. I love it, but I also hate it. But I love that they let me do it. (laughs) You know, I mean, they've got this amazing reputation and I just throw it in the garbage with an ad like this. So hope you enjoy this ad as well as the interview. Let's get to an excellent adventure with Jordan Cannon, Jesse Huey, and Matt Siegel. Hey, Bobby, you going ice climbing this winter? Well, all right. Why don't we tell them how to keep their toes warm up on those icicles? Yeah, swing them tools, baby. Oh, the weather outside is frightful. But in the gym, it's quite delightful. But you don't want to know. So ice climbing, you will go. But the crummy boots you've chosen Will keep your poor toes frozen Pain builds character, you know So ice climbing you will go With Sportiva boots fit right You love going out in the storm Even when you grip too tight Up the icicle you'll be warm Under the boards, the bros are spraying, but indoors, you'll not be staying. Let Sportiva take care of your toes, so ice climbing, you can go. Remember this winter, that frozen feet, losing your toenails, and bashing your front points around like a drunken Cossack dancer is not just, quote, part of ice climbing. Do it better, warmer, and with pleasure. An exceptional ice climbing and mountain boots from Sportiva. All right, Bobby, let's take him to the moon. Two, three. Instead of loudly whining, or with the barfies, you start crying. Be a boss up on the flows. 
with Sportiva around your toes. Cha-cha. Hey, Bobby, why don't we slide on over to Sportiva.com or our favorite local shop and check out them boots. So I was wondering if you guys could describe the level of like familiarity you had with each other or friendship you had with each other before you went on this expedition. I think that might be an interesting place to start. Like who knew who and who didn't know anybody and yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll dive in. And what level of that? Because I know you guys are buddies. Yeah. And, and Jordan was sort of brought in. So what's the what's the triangular the, part of it? Yeah, the menage a trois. The menage a trois um, level of the uh, expedition party. Jesse, Huey, and I have lived together, or we don't live together anymore, but we lived together for like eight years. He always. ruined that by getting married. He ruined that by getting <laughs> married and they kicked me out. <laughs> um, but no, we've been really good friends and climbed all over summer and winter together um, for, yeah, almost 10 years. I had climbed with Jordan once before. Um, I think Jesse the same, maybe like one time before. But we had like hung out in social settings. But yeah, we didn't know Baby Boy, as we started calling him, uh, as being the youngest climber on the team that well at all, I would say, before. Yeah, there was really not a history. Yeah. I never I never referred to him as baby boy. <laughs> yeah, that's really just Matt. <laughs> I didn't know that It's really they... Allie who started that, just mm-hmm. so you know. <laughs> I didn't know that either of them had lived together for as long as they had. So I went into the trip knowing that they were good friends, good partners already, based on things I'd seen them do together the past few years. But then, yeah, it kind of dawned on me. They're way closer than, than I thought. And I, I had to kind of find my, you know, find my place within their already very strong partnership. But yeah, I had just climbed with Matt once here in Moab, um, Jesse once up in Squamish, and then yeah, we've hung, we had hung out a lot. We have a lot of mutual friends. We've been to some weddings together, been to some events together. Uh huh. You know, so enough to know that like, you know, when you go climbing with somebody the first time, you can kind of tell like whether or not you can get along with them and their climbing style. But then hanging out with them in person is more important, I think, for a expedition where you know you're going to spend a lot of time potentially in a tent and not actually climbing. So got to make sure you get along. Yeah. But I mean, you guys had no way to know, no. Well, Jordan and I had spent a lot of time um, at Arc'teryx events. Right. And, you know, that time together, I mean, I know he's a good climber. I Sure. I watch his Instagram. Who doesn't? Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it. I, I feel like, I could judge his character and, you know, I could get along with him really well. And, and Matt and I had talked quite a bit about, you know, just this whole objective as a pair. And I just was like, I'm not going to go unless we have a third person. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And I, I kind of felt the same way for sure. It's just well, what's like, the philosophy there? To take a step back, we, we kind of did know it was going to be a dice roll with Jordan, but it was like, there was enough like the odds were enough in our favor and we could like read the game enough to like trust that it was going to be okay. But there was a part that we were like, Oh, we really haven't spent that much time. We don't know. Um, but the philosophy with three is a, for one, it's like a massive endeavor commitment from the training to the six weeks away to the financial aspect of it. It's pretty common that someone gets sick. So you're like, okay, like that's like, you know, if someone gets sick, you could at least function as two. Um, was the one of the main things safety? 
just like having three people feel safer in the mountains a lot of the times to me in retrospect i don't think we even could have done it with two like the workload alone was just massive like we need you needed we needed three people and and that's like in terms of teams that have like freed the mountain like that's a slim team you know without like already having lines fixed basically. well in terms of teams that have freed the mountain i mean they've all had support yeah whether or not that you know it's shown in the videos or not but I mean, it's it's a massive amount of effort to get everything in place. Did you know that? I mean, do like we, wh- I, where was like your understanding versus the I reality? D- I d- we did, I didn't understand. I knew it was going to be like a lot, and for me too, like I'm like a little guy. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? And like it's like always my largest like um, insecurity and like fear as like a as like a climbing climber, you know, Jesse's like super fit dude. And he's got 50 pounds on me. Like, I'm just like a scrawny little guy. So like, I just can't physically carry as much shit. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, that's how we feel when we go sport climbing with you. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you know, so like for me, I'm like, dude, I I think we just need help just to get to the base, you Uh know, like that kind of scenario. So I, I, I knew that three was going to be like the way and there's the safety issues of like, like our partners being like, well, like what happens if something happens? Like it felt safer to them for us to have three, which is a big piece of it too. Um, and both of them know, you know, our significant partners know Jordan and they're like, we love Jordan. Yes. Great. You, you know, that was like kind of a, a piece of it. But to go back to that question is no, I don't think any of us had as much of an idea of how difficult it actually was going to be. I think three is the perfect number for a trip like this, at least, because with two people, it puts a lot of pressure on, you know, one member of the team over, uh, over the other. And, and then, yeah, you can just get sick, sick and tired of hanging out with the same person. And so I like to think that with a, you know, there's checks and balances with a, with a party of three. If like I'm acting crazy and like you guys both don't think I am, you know, you can balance that out. Be like, Jordan, you need to, you know, get your shit together. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? But, um, as well, I think it gives a lot of flexibility for the team to be able to ebb and flow with like the challenges of the whole expedition. You know, there were a lot of times throughout our trip where I was having a bad day and Jesse was charging or Matt was charging, you know, it was kind of, um, constant like back and forth between the three of us. And so having three gives a lot more flexibility to. You guys went over there to climb the mountain, but it, and obviously you've brought back all this media. Um, you've been having a really good time with it. Part of the media is actually how that the team stuck together, that you guys became stronger friends, which we'll get to in a little bit. And maybe that's all just sm- like PR smoke. Like it's, you know, it's like the Ryder Cup or something where you guys on TV are going to be like, yeah, we love each other. And then as soon as they're like cut, you're like into your own limos. You guys all came in three separate limos and you'll, you know, (laughs) leave in three, out three different doors. (laughs) But there wasn't like a production with this because that's the other thing is when you see these climbing films and it, and it is depicted as like this either lone climber or this, like these two people up there, you're like, well, who's holding the camera or who's, how did those ropes get up there already to have the camera person above them? And we in the industry realize that that also is a level of support of the ascent that just comes along. I mean, they're, they're carrying loads. They are a safety valve. You guys were just alone, right? The three of you, or was there, were there other, was there, was Austin Syedek like sneaking around in the, in the shadows behind the camera? It was just us. We've all been around, um, 
the production end of gathering media. I mean, you're all and, sponsored climbers. Have yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, I think to that end, you know, inevitably it changes the experience a bit. I mean, with this climb, we didn't have any margin in our timeline to deviate off what we did by, I mean, hours, you know, on, on the whole expedition. And so we kind of knew that going into it. And the thought of having somebody there to film was, was attractive. Um, um, you guys were thinking about it. We were thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but it's also a really expensive trip and you know, the day rate for a photographer for six weeks makes things a lot more complicated to find that budget for them. Um, because they want to get paid and, and they should, but you know, it does change the dynamic and, and we've all been there as a pro climber where you're, you're at the base of the crux pitch and you know, the, the cameraman's in position, but you're not ready yet. And there's this pressure that kind of changes it. And I mean, for me speaking from my experience with that, um, when it's really, really, really hard that it kind of throws me off. And so it was, it was special to me to do this as just a, like a total guy's trip. You know, this is just a total soul trip. And if we can gather media, we, we have an extra person that could be on a fixed rope. You know, we could have two people like, pushing the lines up and one person scrubbing the route and figuring out beta um, or filming, you know, worked out pretty well that way. One of the things that we didn't even talk about that whenever we talk about the three, the team of three is like, there was like numerous days that it's like two people were climbing and then one person would leave early just to melt water. We had to melt water for hours a day. No, most people don't think about that. There's, there's so many arguments for the, the team of three, but the f- not having a professional photographer or videographer there was, you know, we talked about it a bunch. Um, and I think if we had one there, we probably wouldn't have done it. I think it would have been too much just like in retrospect of like how it was. But I kind of agree with Jesse for sure is that I, I think it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I kind of like that there was no real media. It's just, it was just us, you know, like I've only had a couple other sense in my life that are like really important and meaningful in the same way. And there's no photos of it. It's just kind of like, it's kind of cool to have something. And and we got a lot of media, but it's like different media. It's like your homie who's like brothers in arms shooting it versus like a total third party. Right. I mean, if it's actually going to turn itself into a film, you know, then all of a sudden there's a, like, the possibility of the narrative itself getting out of your hands mm-hmm. and becoming something that you didn't even really expect or believe in, in a sense, yeah, which has that, certainly happened to all of our friends. For sure. Yeah. You know, yeah when me, the finished product comes out, they're like, eh, yeah. And I think that's not exactly what happened, but <laughs> I think that's what's cool where we're at is like we 100% own the narrative. Like right. there's nobody else kind of, if we fuck up, we fuck. It's our fault, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, there's nobody else kind of doing it. And, I think that's like, we're all kind of excited about giving some presentations and slideshows. And I think one of the interesting things about climbing as a, as a trio, but, but the, the introduction of a third person into a really strong dynamic already, it has a chance to really go sideways. And I've seen that and I've been on trips where that's happened. And it's, I would say it's the number one contributor to people not finding success on these big trips. And so that, you know, I mean, I, I'm just speaking for myself here. It's, I don't have that much time to fuck around anymore. And so the third person, I mean, is so important that it, that it is the right fit or it's just, you know, it's going to be a fail, you know, and, and having been on a trip that, that, you know, it's a big expensive 
amount of time off. It's a big expensive trip. And then, you know, all of a sudden Johnny doesn't get along with Susie and, you know, they don't want to hang out anymore. And then, you know, the trip's just fucked and you see it all the time and just totally unwilling to kind of go there at this point. I mean, it is this interesting dynamic of these guys having been, you know, homies and lived together and the whole thing. Um, what were your, what were your nerves? What were your like worries as far as that's concerned, Jordan? Um, also you were the newbie on this whole thing. I mean, it, yeah. in terms of like expedition climbing, uh, being in a cold, gnarly place like that, being at altitude, um, these guys had more experience than you did. Uh, I can't say I had any nerves about the idea of climbing with them, you know, as their third, even though they had a really strong partnership already, didn't really question how I might fit into that all that much. Like, that's really the main reason why I said yes, is because I was psyched to hang out and climb with these guys. And I trusted them and their experience and, you know, their belief in, in me and inviting me on the trip and everything. I was mainly just thinking about whether or not I wanted to, yeah, invest that much time and effort into a place where it's really common to get shut down for a lot of things outside of your control, you know, weather, getting sick, not getting along with your partners, a bunch of things. And, um, yeah, I've, I've, the past few years, I've kind of just been questioning how involved I want to be with alpine climbing, mainly because of the danger of it. And so that was kind of the first thing I thought is, you know, how, what is the real risk up there? Are we able to mitigate it reasonably that I feel like comfortable going and then yeah am i actually qualified can i make a difference to this team yeah i had to give up some sport you know a summer of sport climbing in europe that i had planned and like weigh the positive and negatives to that which ultimately was you know these kinds of trips don't come around all too often and i have dreamed about going to the trango i never thought too far as to like when and with who but i was i mean for big wall free climbing it's pretty it's pretty high on the list and so yeah, once I wrap my head around the idea that this is, doesn't come around all too often, I was fully, fully psyched to say yes and, and go with them. All right, we'll come back to this friendship thing. But tell me a little bit about the objective. Um, it was a second ascent, Cowboy Direct, uh, Todd Skinner, Bobby Modell. Who's Mike on Lilligren. Mike Lilligren. <clears throat> and then Didn't, Mike Lilligren's... No, or, Jeff and Steve Jeff Bechtel. Jeff and Steve Bechtel. Yeah, the Bechtels. Yeah. And they... But one, I think Steve got sick, sick and right. went home. Right. So I'm not sure how... Yeah. Um, interestingly, no, I mean, I think we've talked about this, but like I, it was been a dream of mine for like a super long time, um, from Micah Dash. So like Micah, who was like my big wall mentor, put this objective in my mind. Um, and I was, I guess this is the, this trip was technically the third trip that was like attempted from me. Like the first trip was with Micah. He died. We didn't go. I had another trip planned. Um, like, you know, literally like down payment on the guide service, the whole thing with John Dickey and Eric Takaria. Uh, and it was the year that Osama was killed and Pakistan was unsafe to travel to. And then it just kind of sat as like a objective that was like this dream objective that like would never like happen. And for me, that's like the history of the objective, less about the actual ascent. The actual ascent was kind of an insane endeavor from Todd Skinner and like five of them that took over 60 days. Uh, I think they had to like extend their visa three times or something um, in 1995. And it was the first free ascent of the wall, but <clears throat> they really didn't get that much credit for it because I think maybe because they freed pitches all out of order. And it was like, kind of like this, this um, style of like establishing the line that 
not many people kind of like, I didn't get the respect that I think it deserved, you know? The Hubers much later, maybe 15 years, 10 years later, I don't know what year the Hubers did, the Eternal Flame, and it like, it was like, you know, world news, like super, everyone was like, it's the first real, you know, kind of scenario. I feel like it had quite a bit of world respect. I mean, it was on the cover of National Geographic. Yeah, it's, it, uh, yeah, I guess it, it, it did in like that, in like the broader climbing audience, I would say, I Forget about that. Well, I w- uh, when Todd Skinner freed this route, I was one years old. So <laughs> yeah, let's not forget. Yeah. Let's not forget that. I was actually curious your impression of it um, because yeah, for the way I understand it, you know, the Eternal Flame was attempted first as a free climb, right, by the German team with Golick and Kurt Albert, um, but then wasn't successful a hundred percent. And then Todd and his team, you know, established their own free line. And that was the first. Yeah, but I guess then when when Hoobers came, yeah, it just seemed like it, it not getting the 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 credit that it deserved. That that's maybe not the best thing to say because Jesse's right. It literally was on the cover of National Geographic. It was the actually the first rock climb that was ever on the cover of Nat Geo, which is a super big deal. But it didn't get the kind of credit that the Eternal Flame got in the sense that like nobody's been on that. I think we've heard of one other party since 1995 even being on that route. First grade seven free climb, which is that's what I was going to say, and it kind of brought free climbing to high altitude, right? Which you know, I'm sure that maybe there there's a bunch of stuff I don't know about, but in the limelight of free climbing hard at you know above eighteen, nineteen thousand feet, that's kind of the front runner that I can think of. I think you're right in the sense that if you ask anybody about climbing on the Trango Tower and not even since you know the most recent you know media they know about the eternal flame and the cowboy direct if it if it hit hard when it happened it definitely didn't become the legendary climb that, that on that I guess thing, that's all though. I was trying to say yeah, I feel yeah. like I downplayed it a little no, bit no. which I was that's yeah. not what I was trying to do yeah. but but who reads national Geographic? I was more comparing it to the eternal flame yeah. you know I mean it kind of launched I I believe it launched Bobby Modell as a photographer For sure. and that's he was he actually on the one do. on the cover yeah, and he went on to do that was his life. And know? Todd's speaking career I learned yeah. from Matt. Yeah. After so this trip. Yeah, I mean Todd wrote a book on basically it's it's a lot on business, but it's all around stories on his ascent uh-huh. of uh Cowboy Direct. Yeah, 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 and it's cool. And those guys were these I mean, Todd really wasn't, but the rest of them were kind of these small town climbers too from totally up in Lander and that area up in Wyoming. So yeah. It was it, you know, not particular i mean todd that was the beginning of his career too or towards it anyway i mean he became sort of our superstar climber of that era but the other guys didn't they that was just something they went and did you know and uh yeah it's it's pretty wild so i mean that was in your brain for a long time yeah it'd been in my brain for like 15 years basically yeah. and and you know jesse can attest to this like there's been a, like a topo in my room on a bookshelf like for over 10 years yeah. So and, and like I said, the first time I met Matt and the first time we climbed together, he told me about, you know, that route and wanting to go do it. And yeah. I've always associated Matt with that to some extent. Which has been funny. We talked on the drive over here, Jesse and I, I'm like, I've been like kind of low key depressed. Like I'm kind of like, what's next? <laughs> oh, like, totally. No. Like I'm just like. That's I've not been, uncommon. Yeah. It's Dude, totally. Yeah. I've had we, it with, didn't we talk about that? Mm-hmm. I've like, had really? it with, yeah. like with big sense and stuff like that. But this one just feels like a, a like a little different. Cause it uh-huh. was like, I kind of always viewed as this as like the end, uh-huh. y- you know, and like, uh, I'm, it's not, but mm-hmm. it's like, it happened, you know? And I'm like, Oh, I don't have no idea what's next, but yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, Lyle, tell me about the climb. When, when you walk up to Trango, it, the scale's really hard to take in. You know, we've all been in the meadow looking up at El Cap and, and it just looks massive. And you're looking at Trango Tower and you know it's as big as it is, but it's kind of hard to put it in perspective. And, and to put it in perspective, the, this training hike that Matt and I would do, we'd carry 50 pounds of water uphill. It's like 1,700 feet or so. And we'd do it a couple times a week. And we'd dump our water out. I mean, that was not even a quarter. That was like a third of the approach gully to get to the base of the wall. So you'd look up and you'd be like, well, that will be our advanced base camp up there. And that was 3,000 feet from where we were had our big base camp. So you you have to hike about about 2,800 feet up to advanced base camp. And then you hike another 1,500 feet to the start of the mountain. And all the while you're looking at great Trango to your right and uh, it's the backside of it, but you know how big it is, you know? And, and so you're kind of keeping this in perspective. And, and finally, when you get all your shit to the base of this notch, the, the route starts and it's, it's kind of the equivalent of maybe a free blast or so, uh, not quite as difficult, but probably equal in length. And you know, there's a couple of pitches of five eleven, and then a bunch of, you know, kind of under represented on any kind of topo mountain climbing that's got, um, waterfall ice and it's got just a bunch of route finding. Um, and then that takes you to a ledge that's called sun Terrace and sun Terrace sits basically at the bottom of the, the sweetest head wall you've ever seen in your whole life. It's like as sick as it gets. It's just this golden pillar. It's just a shield of granite that's red and there's just crack systems literally everywhere on it. And, you know, you're, you're just stunned when you get there and you also can't breathe at all. And you literally walk 10 steps to go up a little snow slope to get to your stuff and you're out of breath. And so all of that kind of starts at 17,500 feet that takes you to Sun Terrace, which is at 18,500 um, you then down climb. Um, if you're climbing the eternal flame, it's about a five minute walk from that, uh, from that bivy. But if you're climbing the cowboy direct, you have to down climb probably close to 300 meters, not down necessarily, but horizontally and maybe down 200 meters, maybe 150 meters, two or three pitches at least. And then you start on the shoulder, which goes at like a handful of 511 pitches, a 513 pitch, 12 plus pitch bunch of 511 off widths to a hanging camp. And then the hanging camp is uh, a portal edge camp where uh, basically the moonlight buttress starts. And I'm like, that's not an exaggeration. It's six pitches of the most stellar 512 climbing I've ever seen in the mountains. Uh, just absolutely laser cut purple Camelot, gray Camelot cracks. Um, yeah. And hanging camp is at 19 and a half thousand feet. Yeah. And, and literally sick. like the, Four pitches off of hanging. The first four pitches off of hanging camp are unbelievable. Like they're like literally perfect crack climbing. It's like any crack climber's like wet dream. Like just on its own, even if it was like in your backyard, you know, you'd be like, "This is as good as crack climbing gets." So to have that up there, I think, yeah, like <clears throat> the climbing off of Sun Terrace was really cool. And like we, you know, the hardest pitch, the five thirteen pitch, I like. Like I sent it on a clear day and I was just like, this is fucking as cool as it's ever going to get. Like CK2, like, you know, at 19,000 feet climbing. And and then we got to the, the climbing above the hanging camp and I was like, oh no, this is pretty, it's like pretty impressive, you know, like 
I don't know. Just the it's like didn't the difficulty didn't even really matter. Mind you, the difficulty was like it was less about like the physical like arm pump and more about like the heart pump of just like feeling like your heart's gonna explode out of your chest. But the rock was just perfect. And it's kind of like the the Salathe or the Freerider Arano Cap, where you're primarily cl- climbing one singular crack system from almost bottom to top. I mean, yeah, Sun the route from Sun Terrace. I think the first ten pitches is called the Slovenian route, right? One of the routes that uh, you use to access these other routes on the headwall, and then and then same like the real section that Todd that Todd uh, kind of and his team established was like from the base of that snow slope up to hanging camp. And then I think from there to the top, it was a route that already been aid climbed and they just free climbed it. So he kind of contributed like the middle section of the route. And and then from the top of the moonlight buttress, so to speak, you have, uh, I think five or six pitches of kind of Patagonian granite with, uh, with a bunch of mixed snow and ice. I, I mean, it was really similar to what you'd see on like Fitzroy or something like that, but at altitude. Yeah. From hanging camp, to the top is the Swiss Polish route. But to answer your question, it's a five-star classic route, hands down. It's really, really good. Yeah, like so- really good crack climbing. There's really only one pitch of like the crux is has a, a face traverse on it, but it's almost all crack climbing. Who'd been that high before? I had been that high quite a few times. Okay. I told Matt from the beginning, um, Quentin Roberts and I, who you should get on this show if he hasn't been on the show. Of course, show. yeah. Um, he and I went to Nepal a couple of years ago and we were trying an objective that was higher than this and similar, but not a free climbing based objective. And I just remember thinking I will never do a trip like this without using an oxygen tent at home before going on a trip like this. No way. Uh, because the, the, you know, to free climb or to just operate at that level at that altitude, it's just, I mean, it takes a very long time. and. And so that hedged our position as a team. We all got uh, altitude tents. Yeah, from Hypoxico. It's like a brand, and they'll they'll you can rent them or you can buy them or rent them. We just rented them, and it sucked. Like it, <laughs> it felt totally like you were sucked. on your. It felt like you were on your trip before your trip. You know, like my fiance and Jesse's wife like hated us because it's like you know you're like basically sleeping at yeah. It wasn't pleas- pleasant. But I think it helped drastically. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to put a finger on how much it helped. But having been to that altitude before, knowing how much it sucks. I mean, climbing 5.6, walking up to 18,000 feet from 9,000 feet, you can't climb 5.6. I mean, you, you pass out. I mean, you might be able to. You know, I'm exaggerating. But, um, but it really hedged our bets. And I think that 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 along with many other things. It was just one of the small pieces to the puzzle, putting it together. I Wouldn't you like do it in your tent? I mean, in your van and shit? No, no, no. Oh. I had to like, <laughs> oh, that's right. I had to like live at a friend's house with a spare room that I could set up this tent in because the highest I had ever been was only, you know, Mount Whitney, like some 14ers in California, maybe in the diamond, you know, what about you, Matt? It was like, I had been to like, just under like, in Ecuador, like high peaks, like sure. skiing and cl- like mountain climbing, but not like what eighteen thousand something. No, like just under six thousand meters. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like I think Cotopaxi is like twenty something thousand feet. So oh, sure. okay, but, so they had been up, but there. it's <laughs> but it's like you're just walking, right? Like you're like not like technically like I mean literally 
we were climbing 12 plus at like 19.5. So it's like a, it's a much different thing to be just walking in crampons at that altitude versus like climbing, you know, 12 plus or two minus. Like that's way different. And like cognitively, like functioning, like at a high level, you know. Yeah, I mean, as well, high as I can. Like, so, I don't, I don't, I don't right. function that high. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> you guys don't have a lot to work with. That's yeah. what you're getting like not a lot of headroom. No, yeah, I don't have a lot of wiggle room. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe you could describe it, Jordan. Like, try. I mean, I don't know if you you have the words, but like, try to put us there. Like, because I mean, I'm thinking the same thing. Because like, twelve plus for me here where I live is hard and I will get pumped and I will get out of breath and, and I will fall off and like throw it, throw us into it at 19,000 feet. Oh boy. I mean, simply just hearing myself, hearing like us say, you know, how hard we were climbing, how hard we actually were. It's still hard for me to like wrap my head around the reality of that because I don't know, it just, there's, we have nothing like that in the United States. You know, people always talk about climbing 513, 514 on the diamond at, 14,000 feet, but yeah, it's a whole, you know, advanced base camp is already above 14,000 feet. So, um, man, it's, it is really hard to, it is hard to describe. Um, I, I don't know if I'm capable. Honestly, I, I had a moment, I like, I had a moment on basically one pitch, like above hanging camp that was 12 plus it, none of us had led it yet. It was like my turn to lead it. And it was like, I got scared. Like it's like the kind of the only time that I like actually rock climbing that I got really scared because my heart was beating so fast and I literally felt like I was going to puke, piss and shit. Like I, I was like, I was like, should I take, like I was done with the hard climbing. I was like in the easy section and my body would just like wanted to shut down because it was just like, I couldn't breathe, you know? And, you know, eventually I was like, no, you're fine. This is like, this is, I guess what it's supposed to be like. I don't know. Um, and went to the top, you know, and did it. But like, that was like the, the, the hardest moment that I felt climbing on the trip, I would say. I, I felt like you really had to pace it. You know, if you were on a good finger lock, which, you know, a lot of times you're in really good jams, you know, if you, if you were to like film me climbing a pitch at, you know, in, in home in Boulder and then the same pitch up there, it'd be like four times slower. And that's what happened. That's what was my experience was, it was not pacing it and like kind of like pushing a little too fast and too hard and just like panicking. And I think that's the other thing too, is like, I think we all got a little not climbing at moments, different kinds of altitude sickness. Like, like nobody got really super sick. Jordan like threw up once and I had one really bad night, but it's like really the anxiety just makes that shit way worse. Like it's like totally like psychosomatic. Like, cause you think about it, like your anxiety gets your heart rate going and you can't like, so you're like, I'm like leading. I'm scared that I'm going to rip gear you, whatever the, all the normal shit that goes on when you're like kind of climbing, you know, and it's just totally exemplified by the altitude. There's a huge trust you put into what you know as well. And, you know, I'm saying this is having been to altitude and, knowing that you're going to feel terrible in the, in the beginning. And, you know, when we first got there, we had to go up on the wall twice before we actually went on the send push. And there are these pitches that are rated five eleven, and and none of us were capable of freeing them. No way. It was just, it, you know, you do like three moves and you just have no gas. It was just so hard to explain unless you've done it. 
And so you'd take and, and, you know, you'd get kind of down on yourself and you'd just be like, okay, I just have to trust in the system. I have to trust that in two and a half weeks, it's all going to happen. And, you know, your body's going to adapt. And it's kind of remarkable how well it actually does work. But it, but it, speaking of an anxiety, you know, you're, you're just flailing on these pitches, just having a hard time getting up them. And then three weeks goes by and you're just hiking them. You know, they they feel like they're, they're five ten, you know, and maybe they are, but you can't, you know, it's hard to tell. I was surprised like on the, on actual climbing, by the time we were acclimatized, I didn't struggle as much with the cardio aspect, but I did very much have a hard time sleeping every night. I had a hard time waking up every morning. And then anytime we had to do like a large, you know, hike that snow ledge or, or hike to the notch from advanced base camp, you know, I'd have like panic attacks where I just like couldn't, couldn't breathe, but that never really happened to me climbing. So the climbing was easier, but trying to sleep at night, you know, constant headache and just waking up feeling like total shit. And then, you know, you're like out of breath, just walking out of your tent to go pee. <laughs> and then you're like, we're supposed to climb 513 today. How does, how is that going to work? And it somehow just did. I don't know. I mean, the funniest thing is literally the easiest part of the trip was like the rock climbing. Which is weird to say because, weird to we, say. <laughs> you know, it takes a week to get there for one. And then we put in two weeks of work, but to get the route ready to try and free climb, fixing lines and hauling gear and setting up camp and all that kind of stuff. Um, that we, <laughs> none of us had really climbed in like three weeks, really like free climbed. You know, we're like, how the hell are we just going to start busting out 512? Like we all probably suck right now, you know, but it did kind of just fall in, fall into place. Um, thankfully, yeah, by the time we had acclimatized and yeah, as soon as we started free climbing, things started to get a lot easier. You I, guys, you guys say that the rock climbing was the easiest part and you speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing though, too, that's like a, worth a mention is like in objectives like this, like it's so much about strategy. Like Jesse said earlier, like the timing of the thing is like what he meant by that. He alluded to it is like we summited. It took us three days to get down we got to base camp at night and had to be hiking the next morning to catch our flight, you, you know? And that was like, there was no wiggle room, but like the strategy that we as a team, and there's no, I don't have like a, a antidote of like, this is what we did. This is what you should do. But it's more of just like the thought process that we had all put in on our, in our own accord, like over for me, years, Jesse months, you know, Jordan, like the whole trip of like coming together and like figuring out what, makes the most sense strategy wise, not even just like figuring out where to stash, where to fix, what to do was like, what set us up. You can ask our wives. They, uh, <laughs> they heard about this at nauseum. Yeah. I mean, like Jesse and I were like, you know, before we knew who was coming with us, we were like, okay, where, what do you think? Day one, do this day two, like Vivi here. Oh, I don't know. Like Dude, oh. we talked ourselves in circles. Yeah. But I think, I think that's what, like, I think you kind of need to do that. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, Chris, you know that. Like, that's what I tell people all the time about free climbing on cap is that there are way better free climbers up there most of the time than there are wall climbers, and right. people get shut down based on their wall climbing skill and experience, not based on the fact that they can't climb the hardest pitch. Right. You know? Yeah. No, I totally said that back when, even when we did it, was that I'd rather be an amazing wall climber and a pretty good free climber. <clears throat> Totally. the other way around when and you're up there that's all I got. yeah and let it be known that that you know 
Jordan was the amazing wall climber. Let's <laughs> uh, his systems for sure kind of saved the day. Well, you in know. terms of like, yeah, things have changed, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was pretty funny. Summit day, though. Summit day, like Jesse kind of took the lead because yeah. there's a lot of mountain pitches, sure. a lot of snow and ice. And I'd, I'd been doing a lot more of that. And it's just like all the systems went out the door. And it was just like me and Jesse, just like gear everywhere, carabiners everywhere. Jordan is just like, like being the third and just like I could tell like he's like I'm just gonna let this happen I'm we're just watching gonna, him have I'm a just panic like, attack like, yeah. I'm it's just like gonna the let these guys not on the green right. camel like, like these guys are <laughs> these guys are moving up the mountain I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let them do it and I'm gonna like stay back <laughs> but that's what Jesse's really good at is the the fast you know alpine style yeah. get her done and he did well that's the I mean as an inside baseball thing we you know knowing you guys all going over there I know that uh, Jordan uh, is uh, fastidious in his systems and his, I don't know, just keeping all of his stuff in order. And I thought kind of like that, that was, I wasn't a worry, but I was like, okay, that's going to be interesting. Um, no, because I, I am very aware that I'm like <laughs> a little over the top sometimes. Right. And I can't expect the same level of uh, attention to detail or perfection in my partners and I've learned how to I've learned, <laughs> you guys are just laughing at me saying this but it, it got to the point Chris where where if there was a camp carabiner just on a on a sling he would just hand it to me every night every night it would just be like there'd be carabiners handing and there's there's one day one day he found a wild country carabiner and I like saw the computing go on in his head and he was like no it was the day we were on Sun Terrace I was like sorting all of our gear because their okay, shit had just gotten out of whack. Right. And like, You're I'm like, sorting this gear and I'm like, hey, what is this? Where does this go? Like, what's this for? You know? And there was just like a, I'm like a BD athlete. They're camp athletes. So like our shit should be all of that. You know, I like the continuity. And there was like, there was like, some, there was like some, ra- <laughs> there was like some random carabiner up there. I was like, what the fuck is this? And he's like, I don't know, man, throw it off the mountain. And I just chucked it behind me. I was like, good. That's exactly what I wanted to do anyways. She gone. All right. Wild country carabiner. Let's not leave no trace, guys. No, sorry. That'll live on that glacier forever. Yeah. Oh, man. It was was a a big source of uh, entertainment for everybody. Even your, myself, I mean, yeah. Your you know, need for organization. Like, they were pretty psyched to to learn and, like, let me, you know, show my ways. And, you know, like, they let me organize their their, their climbing gear at one of our, at Sun Terrace and everything. Every and night. I'd be like, all right, see. You I don't see, think we had a choice, but. We, <laughs> well, and eventually we came out and throw your rack at him. Here, mom. No, Jesse and I would literally just like, like take our harnesses right. off with like all the gear on it and just be like, oh, it's fine. And then hand it to Jordan. And then Jordan would just, just start looking at us and say, I need therapy. <laughs> You're like, go on to, uh, yeah, like bring your laundry home to mom. Yeah. Like, here, yeah. can you do I'd be like, I'd be like, Jesse, what, this carabiner is supposed to be on your shoes. What's it doing over here? Because everybody has a carabiner for their shoes, obviously. Yeah, obviously. You can't just take a freaking rando from the rack be like what is this deconstructed quick draw doing here like you got to keep that shit together <laughs> oh my god i love it i love it maybe it was like uh Th- those aren't the systems i'm known for though that's just right. my my ocd tendencies right there's yeah. actual legitimate hauling and anchors no and yeah and ropes and that yeah kind of and that that was what was really helpful i would say so let me ask you you guys got into the style um 
But the free climbing thing is kind of interesting to me because it's like, you know, the idea of free climbing, when you sort of break it all down, it's kind of absurd. It's like this weird game we play and we have these rules and they're a little bit arbitrary, you know, the anchor to anchor, but where's the anchor? Where does it stop? Where is it, you know, and, and, and we enjoy doing that down here at, at sea level or wherever, 6,000 feet here in Carbondale or whatever playing those games but don't they start to get a little absurd when you're when you're do you know what i mean like you've got it's even you know el cap level too like you've got a three thousand foot route and you and you don't free a meter of it like the whole thing falls apart so i mean when you were up there playing these free climbing games and we'll talk a little bit about style and and how things ended up happening but i mean did it ever just like kind of overwhelm you with how kind of dumb it felt that you're trying I'll to string these dumb pitches together? The, this reoccurring feeling that I had on uh, May was one of our last days that the Yosemite decimal system belongs in Yosemite. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it, you're up there and it's it's soaking wet, and you got to climb this 12A pitch that the storm's coming in and. Both people are soaked and and out of control, shivering. And they're like, one more go, one more go. And if you've been in a life-threatening situation when you're cold, it's uh you know, it's it's one of those things and you don't forget. And being up there and having thousands of feet to repel and being out of food already for for almost day and a half, um, and you're trying to red point a wet pitch of five twelve. Uh, it's a pretty sobering feeling. At least it was for me. Um, and you kind of see the mania in it and you see the, the obsession for what it is. And I I'm, I'm alluding to the last pitch, uh, which the last, uh, like, like pitch of like kind of harder, hard ish rock climbing before it turns into like mountain climbing. Yeah. yeah. Which the mountain climbing was still hard <laughs> up to five eleven. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but you just kind of see it for what it is and, and, um, and you know, you're capable of it and you know that if it were dry, you would have done it, you know, 12 hours ago. And here you are at the end of the day, getting soaked, watching your buddies, you know, freezing, getting, getting soaked to the bone. And, um, you're like, oh, is this, is this what it's about? You know, like, I guess it is, uh, but it doesn't really make sense, you know? Doesn't really make sense, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, so, I think yeah. Just tell us the story of the pitch of of the last pitch. Yeah. So yeah, it's the last pitch. Like Matt said, the last pitch of of hard rock climbing before the the mountain, like alpine climbing to the top. And like looking at the topo, you know, we would kind of estimate like, oh man, who's gonna lead, end up leading that pitch? And you know, oh, I want that pitch. And since it, it was rated on the topo as a twelve a dihedral, and Huey's known for his corner climbing. And he was all fired up. He's like, that's my pitch. And Matt and I were like, fuck yeah, I get it. You know? So we kind of went into the whole trip. Like for months like before for months the whole trip. That, like, that, <laughs> like, was, that was like Jesse's alluding pitch. To this, alluding to like, like these the last... projects up in Squamish. And, yeah, yeah. You know, these corner, these like maybe the hardest corner climbing. I mean, some of the hardest corner climbing in the world, really. Yeah. yeah that Jesse's been uh, working I was on up in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, have, you, have you seen these feet? thighs? Have you seen these calves? <laughs> And and he would stem the shit out of that. Exactly. So he had even mentioned like, oh yeah, I remember seeing photos, you know, when I was doing deep dive on Todd Skinner before this trip, researching about the route and everything. And so he kind of knew, knew what it looked like. And, um, but you know, that 
it's one thing to have a plan very uh doesn't happen very often that like it plays out that way and so i will say back to the party of three thing in almost all aspects of the trip having a, a third made it easier in the free climbing sense it made it a lot harder you know it takes a lot longer for three people to free every pitch you know what i mean um and anyways the, the um Jesse was planning to lead this pitch the whole time. Our kind of last day before our summit day, uh, it ended up that it was going to look like I was going to lead the last pitch. Um, and we, we climbed up to it at the end of a really long day, actually a day we thought we were going to summit. Um, and I, and it dawned on us that we weren't. And I was looking up at this pitch. I was like, should I try this now? Or should we just go down? And it was pretty late in the day. And Jesse was like, you know, you can go up if you want. And I was like, fuck it, let's go down. I was like, this looks no problem. We'll do well, it. I, I fell on the pitch below that. And so I had to redo that pitch. Yeah. And, and Which, important to, to be, to know, like up until that point, like everybody had free climbed everything. We each led, um, one of the 13, the, the only 13 minus pitch, one of the 12 plus pitches, and then kind of pretty equally divided up like the other climbing, like mm -hmm. leading you know, wise, leading yeah. wise. And yeah. then we'd follow. Cause there is, right. you know, so it's like, it, it it was like it was like feeling like a you know a balanced scenario of like trying to like each play our own part you know yeah stylistically we were all trying like Matt said to lead the crux pitches and then aside from that we just wanted every every pitch to have been led by one of us and then uh, the other two would 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 top rope um and so yeah on our on our summit day we get up, we get up there wait wait how, about how many pitches of like Kind of that you said it and the rock climbing like pure rock on thirty eight pitches total with the, no that's climbing. with the mountain pitches oh. um it's probably close to thirty okay right yeah, yeah I mean not yeah I'm not thirty two exact number just <laughs> yeah. an idea well first of all our our summit day was was absolutely splitter we woke up you know to the moon the moon rising um on one side of the horizon and then the sun or the moon setting on one side of the horizon the sun rising over K two uh, and completely clear skies. And so that was one of three days on, on like our 12 days on the wall that was actually full day of, of good weather. And so I was thinking, man, no problem. We're going to get up there. Um, it had like a, a light sheet of ice on it the, um, the night before when we repelled. Um, and so when I got up there in the morning, it was, it was dripping, dripping wet a little bit, but not any more wet than we had climbed the whole trip. You know, I ended up climbing a lot of pitches in the snow. We all did. A lot of pitches were, were wet, but still free climbable. So I didn't think anything of it. And uh, I went up, I went up on the pitch and it's one thing for like a pitch to be wet, but then it's another for it to be like literally running water to the point that it starts going down your arm and into your jacket and into your shoes, you know, and it, I don't mind climbing stuff that's wet, but when it's running water, I start to panic because you can't really do anything. You're like, oh man, I can't hang on this jug anymore because it's going down my arms. I need to like go. So I made it through the first crux uh, to a no hands ledge in the middle of the pitch. And then, and then I ended up falling on the second half of the pitch and then aided my way to the top and got really wet and cold in the process. And what I discovered at the blaze is that there are these two hanging uh, like snow fields um, um, on like dripping on the left side of the wall down the crack and then, and then the face to the right. And I thought the best decision was to ask them to tag up one of our ice axes. I was going to chop out all the snow and it was getting full sun. I thought it was going to dry in, you know, pretty quickly, but I kind of just like unleashed a, 
waterfall <laughs> onto the route and it got way wetter and like slushy snow. And we could have waited for sure, but Jesse and Matt made a decision like we should just go try and summit and then we'll we'll try and free climb this on the way down when it's dry. And I think at that point though, like I was like, oh yeah, sure. Of course, it's going to be dry by the time we get down. Y- you know what I'm saying? Like I think like the leaving that pitch undone, like unfree climbed, I think like in my mind, at least I was like, oh yeah, like it's wet now, but you know, the snow is going to melt in like a couple hours and we'll be fine. We also didn't think it was going to take us that long to summit. So we expected to get back to there with plenty of time left. Yeah. Cause that is like, according to the guidebook, it's like quote unquote, four mountain pitches to the top. It was like, way more and and who knows like there there might have been an easier way to go like it's like kind of choose your own adventure like you could have like corkscrewed the whole whatever we ended up doing probably six pitches to the summit and like some pretty long sustained like hard pitches you know so i i thought to myself i was like i probably could red point this pitch now even with how wet it is now that i know the beta but it's going to suck and I'm going to get more wet. And then Matt and Jesse both have to do it. We're all going to get wet. And it's just, you know, didn't think that was the best. Didn't think that was the best option. And so, yeah, we, we left this pitch probably at 10 a.m. We were like, no worries. Mountain pitches, like, we got this, like, mellow. Yeah, you should let them tell the, the summit story. But basically, we come back to this pitch after a long summit bid in the night at like 9 p.m. or something. So it's fully, it's fully dark. And a storm is on the horizon, like it's starting to start to lightly snow. And, you know, Jesse dropped his chalk bag. I have like no chalk left. We're out of food and we're, go- we're trying to rush. You know, we just had this euphoric summit experience. We're like, all right, now we got to get back down safely. But now we also have to try and like free this pitch um, that we couldn't do this morning and we hope it's dry. And so Jesse and Matt led the like alpine-ish rappels uh, to the top of this pitch where like the bolted anchors mostly start. And they're like, all right, Jordan, you go down, see, tell if it's, if it's dry. And I'm wrapping down and I'm like, eh, it's kind of more dry than it was, but it's also starting to snow and like we need to make shit happen. And so I got down to the blade immediately. I, got, I still have my full Gore-Tex and my gloves on and I'm just like throwing on my climbing shoes, my chalk bag, going full disaster style, not my normal, you know, I want a nice clean belay. I want everything to be pretty before I start free climbing, basically. Um, and, and they get down and I was kind of like, man, we all have to free climb this pitch. I was like, I've already done the bottom half of it. And there's a no hand, legit no hands ledge in the middle. I was like, I'm going to jug up to that ledge. I'm going to fix the rope so that Matt and Jesse can start like micro tractioning and getting the beta. And then I was gonna, I'm going to see if I can do the top. And I just did the top and I was like, that's good for me. Like you guys have to have at the pitch now, you know, um, it seemed ridiculous to, um, to try and lead it at that point and, and all that. So, and at, that's when it seems, at, you're right. It seemed totally stupid. And I was like, at, what are we doing? Yeah. At that point I was like, okay, like, fuck, like I just like, I didn't like necessarily care that like the second half of the pitch hadn't been led. I was like, whatever, it's all been freed. Like I want to free it and was like, Went up there. The first half of the pitch was soaking wet. I'd like whipped out of there. I like lower and I'm like, go up there again. And I just like absolutely explode out of there. And I'm like, sorry, Jesse. Like, do you like, I'm like, I'm like literally like look down at myself and I'm like, not in Gore-Tex, like totally dripping wet in a headlamp. Like, I'm like, dude, do you want to try? Like, I kind of want to try again, but I don't know. And Jesse's like, 
dude, we got to fucking go. Like, you're, and Jesse was honestly like, gracious. He was like, like dude, like, it's all you. you yeah. Know? Like, if you're good, like, I'm good. And Jesse didn't even bother to try. Yeah. And I was just like, I was like, there's like, it, it's something that Jordan didn't mention is like, we were out of food like before that day. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, we were like really out of food. Um, I think I had like one bar that day and like we still had to get down. So it was kind of like a hard decision, I would say, in terms of the antics of what like real free climbing is. But we had just the amount of effort. It seemed super insignificant for like literally one little section. You I, know, I remember, you know, walking up to the start of the route. There's this fixed line that goes over an ice, icy notch. And it's kind of, you know, it, it's. It's not ever going to make the topo, but it's probably like five, seven. And there's this fix line there. And I remember thinking, God, if I touch that fix line, is this not, is this not a free ascent? And then, uh, you know, I, I did it with like a Jumar on the line. So, cause there's no gear. It's just, you know, you're going to crater and then you're going to fall like 4,000 feet down the, down the snow slope. And I put a, I put a Jumar on it and I was like, okay, I'm not going to touch it. And I was like, but is that if I did touch it, is that going to negate my free ascent? And I remember equating the two things similarly. I was like, so wait, is that, if I had like pulled on that fixed line, is that not a free ascent? You know, is, is this 12 a pitch now this negates our whole experience up here. And I was just like, dude, I no, this is, this is so silly at this point. Yeah. I think that's a great example. And, and to Matt and Jesse's credit, you know, like I said, the cards kind of, unfolded for me to be the one tying in for this pitch for the first time and it was wet and i fell and I, but i got the rope up figured out the beta and and we moved on and i think i was really only able to do the pitch at the end of the day and the style that i did it because of the time i'd spent on it that morning you know and if i hadn't gotten to climb on it and then i'm trying to climb on it for the first time at 9 p.m in the dark when everything's wet and cold like i wouldn't be able to do it either so if matt was the one leading that pitch or if Jesse was the one leading that pitch, they would have been the one at the end of the day that would have freed it also. So it's, you know, it's like, not like I was able to do it and they weren't. It's just, that's the way it unfolded. You know what I mean? If that pitch was dry, all of us would have onsighted it. No problem. And so it's like, what the fuck does it matter? Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, I just think, like I said, it's like the absurdity of what we do even here on a day-to-day -day basis when we're out free climbing and we, red point and you don't grab the chains and you don't, you know, all these different things. It's like when they, they become, yeah, they become these like truly the conquistadors of the absurd, you know, that, that the classic title when you're down to that, like a meter, or like what it was it on top rope or was it leading or whatever. So it's fascinating, but I mean, you know, you guys are stuck in the game. Um, so you have to make these decisions and be yeah, okay and I mean, with I think, it. And, I think for us, like the, yeah. the, like the first thing was like, for us all to be okay with it. And then for me, the other thing was just to be honest about it and like, like come out and be like, this is what happened. This is the deal. This is like, you know, there's like, that's our sand has an asterisk because of that pitch, which like, honestly, I'm like, whatever, big deal. Like, you know, I don't know. It's like a lot of ascents have asterisks and the effort that I think we all felt like we, not only the effort, but like, I think what we all just gave to like standing on the summit was so, so drastic that like i think one 12a pitch isn't like we're not allowing that to like take away from that yeah because personally i think if if we did let you know if you do let a minor detail like that 
take away from your sense of accomplishment and satisfaction in the trip as a whole, you're kind of missing the point of that kind of climbing, you know? Yeah, we set out with the objective of free climbing this route and we wanted to be successful, but at the end of the day, that's not the only thing that's going to make a good trip. We we could have sent but then like come home hating each other at the same time. Would that be a good success? No, not in my opinion. So I think yeah, that was ultimately ultimately the goal but we came when you go on a trip like that you know you come away with so much more than than a, a free climb or or not you know you come away with a really good experience bonding experience that we all had and that's what makes it worthwhile i think i guess i i'm, I'm thinking about just just how the objective in my mind had kind of changed throughout the trip uh in the beginning i think we had about two and a half weeks left and there's a big storm coming through and I remember thinking, there's just no way we can all free climb this thing. There's no way. Like, it's not going to happen. I was trying to be real and to myself, you know, and, and, and yet try to be positive to these guys. And, you know, I, I thought that it's possible to free climb the route with having one of us free every pitch. But I thought it was like m- much further out in the cards that we could all do it. And so, uh, you know, I, we, we'd have like kind of discussions, you know, between chess games or, you know, between eating. Jaipur. Yeah. Playing games or game. whatnot. And I'd like throw that out there. And, and I think that the cool thing about a trip like this is that when you've climbed enough mountains that the summit really isn't the objective and the experience of, of, of going through the experience is the objective. Right. And so it became kind of clear to, I talked to Matt and he was like, yeah, I, I have no interest in, in not doing it team, like doing it individually freeing each pitch. And maybe I had some insecurities about being the weakest free climber and being like, well, if I can't free one of these pitches and you guys do, then I'm left behind. And, um, and and, you know, that definitely, I thought about it and I was like, well, that's okay if that happens. But in the end, I, I truly thought that we would probably have a good bid at doing a team free ascent, but that would be on par and the same as what the original guys did. And, you know, that wouldn't take away from the experience, but it was like, it was more important to free climb the route than to get to the top of the route is what I'm trying to get at. And then all of a sudden that kind of got put in perspective when we were on that last pitch and we had climbed the route and I personally just totally didn't care. I just, you know, it was like that fixed line at the bottom of the the gully that um, may or may not have pulled on that could negate this whole amazing experience with two of my best friends, you know? It was hard for me, for sure. I, I, I like, I wanted it, but at the same time, I was like, like I had a moment of like Jesse was like, "You're soaked," and I was like, "Fuck, I'm so like literally like just drenched to the bone." But yeah, I think there was a lot with that, and there's even some things like just to take a step way back in the trip. Like we basically like the weather, like Jordan alluded to this. We had three good days of weather on our ascent, we started the push thinking that we were going to have to sit out four days of bad weather on Sun Terrace. And the reason why we did that is, was because if we waited, took one more rest day at, at base camp, the bottom would have been totally soaked if this like storm came through, you know, and we wouldn't be able to free climb the bottom. So like we really did try to set this whole thing up for like trying to free climb 
you know, if that makes sense. So like it was worth it for us to like be able to free climb the bottom. And at least in my opinion, I was like, at least we would have free climbed the bottom and like we wouldn't, you, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're at least done that, you know, and then we'll sit out a storm on Sun Terrace and like, inshallah, as they like to say in Pakistan, God wills, we'll like make our way to the top. I'm also just the over positive one typically of like, yeah, like what, like it's not over until it's over. And like, like I wanted the team when I know Jesse was like insecure of like being like, he says the weakest rock climber, but that's not really, you know, like his experience level is like much beyond like Jordan and I's and like actual like granite rock climbing, you know? Um, my was like, we're all going to fucking free climb this route. Like that was like, like whether I said that on the trip or not, but like, that was like, my opinion was like, we were going to stack all the odds in our favor of like all of us, like trying to do this. Going into it. I was like, I don't care if we free climb this. I just want to stand on the top. (laughs) So I, in my opinion, yeah, I tend to be pretty overly optimistic too, but I also try and set realistic expectations so I don't end up disappointing myself. Uh, because with all the things outside our control. So you guys uh, did summit. So tell me about that day, because it sounds like you got a, a pretty awesome summit day, weather-wise. I mean, it didn't come easy. Uh, the route finding was quite tricky, uh, and and we were kind of under this under under this position of if you screwed up in one direction, you really didn't have time to correct for it. And so, um, and, and there was there was a possibility of potentially picking the wrong route and and knocking a lot of loose stuff off. And also just, uh, I want Jesse to tell this story, but like we each had like one bar each at the, uh, you, you like, like, like we all forget about that, but like we ran out of food. Like, Oh, the, I don't the, forget the previous day. I just like, Jesse didn't say it. And like, to me, that's like the most important piece of this whole thing is like, we were hungry, <laughs> you know, like you we can also talk about me or hangry. Very, very sad. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we're at the top of the technical rock climbing and I take off and I make a terrible decision, decision not to wear crampons. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, should, can we go? Can we go to hanging camp? When you realized we were going to run out of food. Oh, can, yeah. I'm sorry. Can we go to hanging camp when we realized we were going to run out of food, like two days before? Yeah. So, before. so Jordan, um, Jordan decided that he was a hungry kid on this trip, and and <laughs> and Jordan. So we have this em- enormous stockpile of food when we started this trip. I mean, it's enormous. I mean, it's probably like I literally traveled to Pakistan with a 75 pound bag of food as did i yeah like and, so we, and we had, told jordan don't bring any food we got no it food. we got it all we, we're good and you know we're talking four pound bags of golden bear gummies with uh twin snakes haribos like the whole thing and, jordan, and like also like real like cliff bars and pro bars and and like nutrient dense food that was going to sustain us on the wall <laughs> not just gummy bears jesse so, so, so jordan sees all this stuff and he just starts demoing the gummy bears the gummy bears are <laughs> gone on week one and uh and then he finds our chocolate bars on the wall and he's just like oh we have chocolate let's eat some chocolate entire bar gone day two <laughs> and and yet I'm not like concerned at all because I'm like, we have like 120 pounds of food on the wall. Dude, literally the whole time, Jesse's like, no way are we going to eat all this food on this trip. Well, we make it to hanging camp and we have exactly 28 bars, which, which 28 bars, when you look at 28 bars, it's kind of a lot of food. 
But, um, you know, you pick that up in a bag and they're all like pro bars. They're like carefully thought out bars, you know, um, calorie dense bars, if you will. And we do this, uh, we do this thing where everybody's just grabbing bars for the day and and we're like, oh my God, we're going to run out of food. Cause it was just a free for all up to that point. Yeah. It was like, it, it got to the point where we were like, oh, we're running low. It's too stressful. It was, it's like, I kind of got stressed and it was too stressful for, I can't worry about like Jordan eating too many bars. We're dividing the bars and like we're splitting the bars up. Everybody's going to get an equal amount. We had like a go fish round. Everybody like had draft picks, you know, like everybody grabbed a bar and we divided the bars up that way. And right? then you just so we, like hoarded them. And yeah. Then, it's, yeah. It, like it, looked at each other across it, the portal edge. Like, well, it, it wasn't hoarding. We because bartered, it, you know, I, yeah, yeah. I wanted that flavor. <laughs> right. Jesse wanted this one. So it wasn't hoarding. <laughs> everybody got to that point. Every, at that point, everybody mm. got an equal amount of food, you right. know, and then dinners, dinners were split. We didn't, this was just day food. Right. And this is all and, the food we had left. That's actually that's all. Actually, no, I take that back. This is and all for me. So yeah, yeah, yeah. This was like all the food at that point. There wasn't breakfast and dinner. There was just bars. The thing so, we didn't run out of was coffee. No, thanks Lots to Matt. Coffee. Alpine start. Alpine yeah. start. It was a little stressful where you all had like our own personal food bag, you know. And we're at this like we're at an actual big wall camp where we have to stay clipped in. We you know we have to not drop shit. Like and, your phone. <laughs> yeah. And actually, like, there was one morning at camp where, yeah, Jesse dropped his phone, yeah, off this ledge. And I thought, like, based on his reaction, he was just, like, screaming, just like, no, no. I was like, oh, my God, Jesse dropped his food. We're fucked. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, it was just his phone because we would have really been so, so this is my version of the story. So Jordan sees, you know, his his third of the 28 bars and he's like oh my god this is so much food that i can eat right now (laughs) (laughs) and you know we head up the wall and it's it's our quote summit day well we 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 had calculated how many days we had till we summited too so i was like you know i was rationing based on that and there was a day that we were like we're going to the summit today that was the one where it was a fall summit day right I was like, but he didn't. He he didn't save a bar. Like I don't it, know it what literally I was thinking, took us man. three days to get down. You you know what I'm saying? He ate all of his food on this pre-summit day, and like fortunately, like I had like two bars left. Jesse had like four because he was like knew better. And I was and then, like, I was like eating a third of the bar at a time. You know, it's like, oh man, has it been three hours yet? I can eat a third of the bar. Yeah, okay, good. good. <laughs> So basically, Papa Bear gave was able to give Jordan a bar for some day. I kept giving Jordan <laughs> my my day food, and um, which probably contributed to me losing twenty one pounds. Well, also <laughs> the whole time we were joking about like, hell yeah, dude, the Pakistani diet. Not meaning like the food that they eat in Pakistan is going to make us skinny, but you know the trip, the Pakistan expedition right. trip diet. You know, come home and Jess, start Jesse and I like we're a little bigger compared to most sport climbers we don't sport climb super hard so if we lost like 15 pounds we'd come back and we'd send the nar so dude i lost 15 pounds too i came home and i could barely hold my coffee mug so honest although they're they're saying that i was like the hungriest and i was eating the most food and all this stuff (laughs) like when we came down to the rationing time i was like i was like all right yeah this is how we're gonna lose weight this is sick well we wasn't honestly that stressed we were literally deciding on what we should do on on how many calories it would burn like jordan was like well i think i'm gonna just go up and aid this thing and see if i can just get to the top and maybe we'll keep going like oh is that a good 
is that a good use of the calories we have? Like we got to freak on these things that conversation? immediately. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I was definitely not thinking that way. <laughs> <laughs> At the point that we divided bars up, there was still a lot of work to be done. And, and honestly, there was even more work than we had like planned for. Like literally, like we had three days of descending. I think, I don't even know. I think maybe we thought we were going to do it in two. I don't even think we thought about it. Like I was like, Oh, it's going to be a pain in the ass to get all the ropes. Well, we down. thought but about like, it. We just, we just grossly misjudged it. We mis- I mean, yeah, yeah. We didn't leave was- any food at Sun Terrace. We didn't leave like the only food that we had was at advanced base camp, which was 3000 feet of repelling, like 300 meters of shuttling loads on snow. That was like roped up in like post holing, like heinous conditions. And then 2000 feet of like gully, you know, <laughs> let's talk about our false summit day and then our summit day with all the mixed climbing just lead us to the the barbecue sauce <laughs> because that's the day i ate all my bars and i have a good yeah, reason yeah so <laughs> so jordan had an amazing contribution the day before it was cold as shit in the morning no one thought we were going to be free climbing there was like this overcast kind of like ice layer in the sky and uh and all of a sudden it kind of felt warm enough to maybe do something, you know, I mean, I, I would assume it was probably in the forties, but there's, you know, no sun. And the idea was, okay, let, let's just, let's just go up. Let's just start aiding, you know, and Jordan goes up and he aids the 12 plus pitch. And because this was our first day waking up at hanging camp. And we were hoping for a good day of weather to make progress on like what we saw was the moonlight buttress of five twelve splitters. And then we woke up and we're in a cloud and we're like, fuck, maybe we're not gonna be able to do anything today. But yeah. progress is progress. And all of a sudden it felt kind of warm enough that Jordan's up there and he's like, I'm going to try free climb. And he starts on siding 512 after 512 pitch. And it was, yeah. it was absolutely epic. Honestly, it was like, it was sick. It, it was, was like, oh yeah. <laughs> and, and hands down, like one of the best 512 splitters in my life. And then one that was like legitimately the hardest effort I had to put out on the whole thing because I was looking at it. I was like, man, this looks like a 510 pitch. I was like, this is going to be no problem. And then I, you kind of traverse down and right off the belay, and then you actually are looking at this crack, and you're like, oh, no, this is, this is 512, and it's unprotected for like 15 feet. And I'm like, start committing to these moves, like knowing that it's not going to be a sweet fall if I biff it, and then it conveniently starts snowing again. And I make it through, and I get some gear in, and I'm like determined to climb this pitch, and it took it took everything out of me that day but we yeah we got like three pitches done so and, and that day was super cold and so when you're kind of in support mode it's really hard it's kind of like going from aid climbing to free climbing back to aid climbing to free climbing it's really hard to switch gears and so when you're in support mode you're you're kind of just drafting a bit jesse microed one pitch he got the bait on the 12 plus and you supported yeah and so the the next day was our summit day and uh matt I, I had like put some pretty key kind of ticks. I mean, not, I don't know if he would have needed them or not, but it was like, you know, the beta was gained to make the 12 plus as I guess, I don't know, friendly as possible. This was the That's, pitch that I said, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought I was going to like puke piss and shit. <laughs> like, but basically the main thing that day is like, I was like, all right, I, I did these three, five, 12 pitches the day before I was like, you guys are leading today. Yeah. I'm drafting. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be the third. And so Matt and I had to climb a 12 plus a five twelve. And then another five twelve, and then it was my lead at a at a like a five twelve that had some bolts on it. And I got up there and I was like, you know, I threw I threw everything I had at this thing, and I got to the bolts, and it was just like, 
you know, you're hundred feet up. The rope drag is horrendous. And there's two bolts of like unbelievably insecure face climbing. I'm like, I gotta, you know, there's a stance there. I'm like, I gotta bring Matt up and let's, let's have Matt go at this. Or I tried it. I pitched, uh, I pitched again. And then Matt goes and he pitches and then he finally gets through it. And then I take the lead and do a long five ten pitch. And, and I realize that I'm really cold and it's, it's largely based on the calorie intake. And so it's Matt's lead and Matt, you know, you can see it in his eyes. He's, he's similar to me because we've put out the same amount of output that day. And, and Jordan has basically, you, you jumarred the first, I guess you free climbed no, the first I, pitch. I had to do the 12 plus and then, and then I, and then the I jumarred two pitches and then I was just and following. Also, you know, Jesse and I are being conservative with our bar intake too. Important <laughs> to, to mention, you know, we're like, and we're hauling the bags. Yeah. And, yeah. And, but, or were we hauling the bags? But no, I mean, or, or, I, I legit feel like I was drafting like, yeah. You know, they were trying to lead these pitches and it's hard to figure out where this shit goes a lot of the time. And so it's really time consuming. And I'm like a full pitch below them based on the style, like we were climbing as a party of three. And I can't even see, like, I just hear them yelling and I'm like, what the fuck is taking so long? So I'm just like hanging at the belay and like sleeping and like eating bars. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah. So just I get, those this bars. is when I, I like go up the, the Matt, Matt's, Rappers. Matt's mess. Yeah. <laughs> Matt's mess in Pakistan. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, you know, we're still feel like we're sending. It's it's my lead. Jesse led a long pitch. It's my lead. I like go up this thing that doesn't look that hard. And I'm like, I'm up there and I'm like, fuck, like there's like no good gear. Like I'm like, this is kind of crazy. Like it's not that hard. Like, but I get, I honestly, I just get scared. Like I'm like, I'm like, I get to the point where like I don't have a ton of good gear. You have to kind of punch it. It doesn't look that bad, but like I was, I was worked. Like I was like, I didn't have it, you know? So I like placed like a bunch of gear that I think is probably still there. It's Honestly, still there. it probably fell out because it wasn't that good. And, <laughs> and uh, lower to the anchor and I get down and I think like, you know, Jet, uh, Jordan's like, okay, like I'll go up it. Like I'm looking, you know, looking up it and it's like, okay, fine. And we like realize we like, we look over, we look back at the top over, like that's not the route, you know? The route's over here. And, and it's this absolutely laser cut gray Camelot crack. And I mean, it's, it's, it looks fierce from, from my opinion at this point in the day, I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's what we have to climb right now. And it's probably 120, 130 feet. And it's just consistently fingers the whole way. And, and the rock at this point doesn't really have that many feet. And so it was kind of like this reluctance of like, oh God. And Jordan. Uh, well, I mean, so yeah, we we're all finally like rejoined on this ledge. And I, I see Jesse like legitimately bonking, like the first really only time on the whole trip that he was like low energy and didn't look, didn't look that great, you know? And then Matt, Matt goes up to lead this pitch that like we said, and it's, and it's listed to be 512 and, but it doesn't look that bad. But then he's like, I don't know, like, I don't got this, like this feels wrong. And he comes down and legitimately so it wasn't on the right route or a route at all. I don't know. Um, and and yeah, so like he's, he's feeling scared and I'm, I just kind of got the energy. I was like, well, are we trying to fucking summit today? Cause if so, like one of us has to do this pitch, you know? And so I was like, fuck, uh, fuck it. I'll do it. You know, like, let's, let's try and I want to summit today. So he had already mind. eaten most of his bars. Yeah. Because day, I'm so. out of bars. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I'm out of bars. So I'm going to go I ahead had and the benefit, mention it. I had the benefit of drafting up to this point, And then yes, I. 
so, and so then yes, I had this, ate, eaten a lot of my bars. So this is so. A, si- a side note that's quite important at this point is that we had prepped for this four day storm and we brought an iPad that was loaded with Ted Lasso. Okay. Well, among, Sun among other shows. It didn't, it yeah. didn't, it didn't make it past Sun Terrace, but like it was at Sun Terrace. Stylistically, you guys, yeah. come on. So season one, like maybe episode 10 or something like that, he says he's in his darts game. No, I, I'm sorry. You're setting this up wrong. <laughs> we, yeah, we all brought our iPads on the trip with various shows downloaded that we were psyched to watch. And, and Matt mentions, he's like, oh, like I got three seasons of Ted Lasso. And Jesse and I, having seen it, we were like, fuck yeah, that's an awesome show. And we were like, let us know when you get to the dart scene, which if anybody, sorry, spoiler, but if anybody who's seen the show, especially season one, they know about this scene, you know? And so Matt was, Matt was watching it um, at, at, uh, at Sun, or at, uh, I'm sorry, at Advanced Base Camp, you know, he's like, oh, I'm at the scene. And we like, we all huddled in his tent and like watched it on the iPad together. And um, it's, it's a scene where, you know, Ted is having this like this uh this dart competition with the previous owner of the club, and um, boy, this is actually harder to set up than I thought. But <laughs> <laughs> no, so so Ted is is essentially leading this guy to believe that uh he doesn't know how to play darts, and in the end, you know, he freaking smokes him. Um, and he has this whole monologue at the end where he has to get like two triple twenties and a bullseye to to win this dart game, and he starts going on this monologue talking about like you know my whole life like. People have always underestimated me, and I never under, under never understood why. And he goes through this whole this whole like epic, uplifting monologue, and he gets to the last shot, and you know he just says barbecue sauce, and he throws the bullseye, and the bar goes crazy. You know, it's a really it's a really sick moment. So and so we had all watched this, and we had joked we had joked about it together, and I'm like tying in for this pitch, and I'm starting up it. I'm like feeling really good. I'm feeling really confident, and. I get to this point where like I was pretty sure I was about to enter the crux and I'm hanging at this rest and I'm like chalking up and I just look down at Matt and Jesse and say barbecue sauce and, and then I and then I sent the pitch. He sent it. Yeah. He sent it. Oh, We're such dorks, but I love that you told that story. I was supposed to tell that story about you. It would have been so much cooler. <laughs> right, oh damn, time. sorry. It's all good. At your presentation, but set that up better. Up. You got you this is just this is just a rehearsal for that. Yeah, no yeah. legitimately yeah. this is. G- going back to the the mountain. But you didn't make it to the summit. Oh. No, we didn't make it to the summit, and and and, Je- and Matt followed that pitch. He sent Jesse almost did. He fell at the very end, and that's kind of how the order got switched for me to end up leading the last five twelve pitch because Jesse had to do that pitch the following morning when I was like tying in trying the the dihedral. I like barely followed that pitch. I like there's a moment where like my feet kicked and I like basically whipped and it was myself. it was rugged. It was, it was, it was like, like five p.m. six it was PM. hard. It was super cold, and we were totally gassed yeah and there's like it's definitely as hard as i i tried on the whole trip after this pitch i was like all my fingers cuticles everything was bleeding and but after that pitch we led like a short i led a short 510 pitch 59 pitch something moderate pitch to the bottom of the 512 basically and moving on the next day we get up there jesse sends the the barbecue sauce pitch as we're going to rename it jordan you heard Jordan's story on the 12A and then kind of Jesse, I feel like you should kind of, kind of, I mean, like, I, I don't steer us to the top. I, I, I mean, from my perspective is it, was, it wasn't that, 
it wasn't that big of a deal to get yeah. get get up to basically the last pitch. Yeah. And, and we get to the last pitch and I, I look down at these guys and um and Jordan at this point is is as cranky as I've ever seen him on the whole trip. He's well, hypoglycemic he's, at the very least. He's pretty, <laughs> yeah. He's pretty sad. Jordan's sad. Everybody's wet. There's a moment where like well, there's a moment okay. There's a moment where we thought we were on the summit pitch and like like I said before, Jesse's leading, I'm following, Jordan's third. Okay. So I get up to this pitch, I follow this pitch, and Jordan's like not following. Like he's he's not there. And I look down and and Jordan's basically fucking buck naked. He's, 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 he's wearing maybe his boxers and he's 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 drying out all his shit. And I'm like, it's fucking five PM and like like we have shit to do. And and Jesse's like Where's Jordan? What, no, what's no, no. happening? I was looking at Jordan. I was like, what is Jordan doing? And I was just like, I was like, dude, I was like, it's you. Like, I haven't even told Jordan this. They, I was they like, had kind of gotten in a few, like, yeah. few spats at this point. And, and Matt just looks at me and he goes, he goes, if I say something, he's going to flip. You, <laughs> you, you, have to, you have to ask Jordan to hurry so, up. So this is Jesse's voice. Hey, Jordan. <laughs> Like, oh my just gosh. Like, just like, hey, Jordan, like, you know, like, how are you doing down there? Like, we, no, it wasn't we, that at all. Like, He's like, hey, Jordan, bud, can you speed it up a little <laughs> bit? And Jordan was just like, I'm soaking wet. Everything is wet. I need to, I just need a minute. And I'm like, I told you, like, I well, couldn't say it. Like, okay. But, but, but the problem hilarious. was, is that with three, you always need somebody moving. And he, it, all the rope, the rope was below us because it was a super long pitch. And so I had like 20 feet of rope to work with. And Matt's at the anchor, and and then all of a sudden, like Jordan's got his clothes on, and he's just speeding up the pitch and climbed it in no time at all. I'll be quick, but to defend myself, I got insanely wet leading that five twelve pitch, okay. right? And then we, you know, we decide to move on, and I'm like, sick. Okay, I'm gonna be the third now. Matt and Jess are gonna lead us to the top. I'm gonna like get dry and comfy at this belay, and I do. While Matt, while Jesse leads the first mountain pitch, you know, and then Matt follows, and then it's my turn to follow. And therefore, Jesse's leading the second mountain pitch directly above it, you know? And so I'm like, okay, I got my gloves on. This is like my first ice pitch ever, okay? So I'm like, I got all my Gore-Tex on. I got my boots and my, my crampons, my gloves. I'm like ready to go. And I'm like starting swinging and I'm like figuring this like ice climbing shit out, you know? I'm like, oh, this is fucking dope. I'm like doing it. And I'm dry finally. And then Jesse's leading the next pitch and just sends down like an absurd amount of snow and ice that goes right down my fucking jacket, like into my pants. And I was just like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? So I get up to the le- belay ledge and I, I like basically throw a hissy fit. They make hoods for a reason. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. grumpy. Yeah. So, so to anybody so out there, put up your hood, I guess, so that doesn't happen. <laughs> because then I got, I got to the belay and I was like fucking pissed. I was like, damn it. I just got dry and now i'm all wet again and i'm like trying to put on my puffy pants because i'm freezing cold and i'm like tripping over myself my crampons and feathers are going everywhere and so i basically kind of stayed in that mode following them for the a few pitches i have amazing photos of this just saying yeah he got a a pit a photo of me looking very uncomfortable and sad and yeah we got to this ledge and the sun was like just about to go around the corner and it had finally gotten clear. And I was like, oh, this is my moment. Like I need to dry out. I need to get dry. Otherwise I'm not going to be able to like summit probably. And, and then, yeah, they got upset at me, <laughs> but I fired up that pitch. No problem. What so, you yelled at me? So, so. so I, I looked down at him. I'm like, Oh man, we're like, we're like maybe five minutes from the summit. 
we're, we're it's it's right there and jordan gets up there and i i crest the i crest the the top of the what we can see and i'm like oh no there's one more pitch <laughs> and he he blazed me up and i i'm like looking and i'm like oh i see it too and i'm like oh this it looks like a like a legit mountain pitch like from that side of trango like snow cap is steep the rock is steep if you're coming from the eternal flame it's literally like a snow hike at that point we had committed we weren't going to do another three pitches to get around it's kind of it's kind of almost like peruvian looking at this point it's like there's a lot of overhanging snow and anyway i quest up there and it was fucking complicated to be honest i mean i had to go up and down and up and down i had to leave my backpack and then i guess i'll say it yeah i i went up and around and pulled all the cams so there wouldn't be rope drag but there still was rope drag and then i'm climbing this overhanging cornice and both tools rip and i i ha- i'm like 80 feet above my last piece of gear and for whatever reason my feet landed in the snow below me and i didn't pitch so i was just like okay i guess i have to dig and so I just dug and dug and dug and dug and dug and dug and then finally got through. These guys are wondering like, what the yeah, hell? Yeah, we can't he see him. Yeah, at this point, he's he like doing? around a corner. And uh, I get to the summit and I'm super relieved. And and I'm like, how in the hell are they going to do this? I mean, it would be hard for a really seasoned ice climber to follow this pitch without being scared. It's, it's also just important to say like, there's how the rope ran. It would have been just as dangerous for the second to follow it because it was like a do right traverse and then like around the corner so like it would have been really difficult and horrifying for two for three it would have been like you're i don't know what we would you know with the ropes seeing that we were running it wouldn't wouldn't work so so i get this bright idea i'm like okay if i can chop out this cornice and lower down on the grigri and fix the rope to my backpack basically where i left my backpack on a good piece of gear these guys got a plumb line to climb straight up and it looked climbable. There were some pitons even. I mean, there's all sorts of shit on that side of the mountain from all the ascents that had happened over the years. We saw portal edge hanging on the side of the wall. Um, and and so I'm just like, okay, line's fixed. <laughs> and and I, I, I agreed to this. You know, like having like spent the last couple seasons mixed climbing, I was like, oh, it doesn't look too bad. Maybe like in the M6 range, but like legit like M climbing. Like you're like, you climb a bunch of snow, which was mellow. Jordan had already done a bunch of that. And then you get to like a rock section where you're like kind of, you know, you're, you're mixed climbing and how we had set it up is like, you know, we're both, we're both following kind of at the same time and Jordan's below me. I'm next. And I'm like literally like up there, like explaining Jordan, like how to like kind of mix climb. Cause he never, he had like snow traveled did a little bit of ice climbing, but like, not any like steep, like M climbing, you know, like where you're like literally like, you know, so I'm like, okay, Jordan, this is what you're going to do. You're going to like hand jam the crack. You're going to like holster one tool, put one tool on your harness and then like use the other tool to like get in the crack and like find the pick. And I'm like, that's it. And like in my mid description, like a tool rips and I like catch myself and I'm like, yeah, it's fine. You're, you, you got it. You know, like, um, <laughs> and I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, Oh my God, this is like, if Jordan pulls this off, this is going to be a miracle. And I, I fucking, I get up there and Jesse had nicely like kind of dug out like the cornice because it would have been impossible for us to get through it without. And Jesse and I have our moment at the summit and he's like, do you think Jordan's going to be able to do it? And I'm like, yeah, probably he's got it. It's like, it's like I, th- I think he's got it, you know, and Jordan pulled it off. I don't know. Give us your experience of that. But for us, basically for 
like there's lots of impressive moments from from Jordan, lots of climbing, rock climbing in the snow, in the rain, and like wet conditions that like I think really impressed Jesse and I. But this was like a moment of true like kind of beginner, like never having done any like hard tool climbing. And it's important to say like we were climbing in like cut like tools, like so they were way short, like one like X Dreams, which was like kind of like a really technical tool. And one like X Lite, which is like a more of an alpine tool. So it's like not like mixed climbing in like the sweetest setup, right. you know, either. We're like, we're, yeah, 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 yeah. Like we're going to take Jordan ice climbing and like real tools and like. I thought they were real tools. I've never seen real tools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's you mean beaks. Like. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, it, you know, well, yeah. yeah. Jordan, go on. Well, I mean, you know, I'm just watching Jesse like get to the summit of this thing and then him and Matt with their mountain experience, like talking about how we're going to get up there. And Matt's like, can we go direct? Like, can you fix a line? And he's like, yeah, like, I think you guys could M it. And I was like, Matt, like, what the fuck does that mean? I don't even know. What that, <laughs> I don't even know what that means, you know? And he explains it to me then. And then again, like when he's actually climbing it, like he said, and he made it sound like it's no big deal. And so I was like, oh, okay, it's no big deal. So just like, figure it out you know and and then yeah i did what he said and i'm like hand jamming like this underclang and i'm like front pointing with my crampons on these little footholds i guess i don't even know if i'm talking about this correctly and i have i have one one tool and i'm like putting it over my shoulder and like holding my teeth feel like mark andre you know from what i've seen yeah, you in think, yeah you're gaming you're gaming yeah, That's, yeah. you were gaming and then i was like well there's like a fucking little seam in this crack and i just looked at the the tool and i was like there's like a, I was like, that looks like a beak, right? It's a beak at the end of this ice tool, basically. So I just freaking hammered that shit in there, pulled on it, and I don't know. I just got to the summit. They're like, do you do that pitch? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> no big, no big deal. I no guess. big deal. Yeah. Respect. Yeah. It was sick. Nice. Yeah, because I mean, not to forget that like the mountain pitches need to be freed too, whether they're ice M or mixed, whatever. Yeah. You know? yeah. If you can't climb the last pitch, you don't do the thing either right so yeah. it was we did it was, all the, we, it was <laughs> and you had a nice clear day yeah you no know, at that point it was starting to get overcast but yeah. the, the summit was was rad do you guys had tear more, up they oh dude like immediately oh, oh nice they yeah. had their moment up there jesse was up there the longest obviously right. then matt and then myself and i don't know it's it's interesting i kind of had a moment at the at the saddle while they were you know while jesse was leading this last pitch because Obviously, that's that's the goal. That's the end of the mountain. That's the top of the that's the top of the route, and you're working towards that the whole time. But it never really feels attainable until that. Not even that final day. You know, our final day, we had like we still had like a thousand feet from our camp to the summit, and so not really until you're on the last few pitches where you actually see the summit. You're like, oh shit, it's like right there. You can start to entertain the idea of like we're about to stand on top of this thing. You know. Whereas all the days and everything leading up to that, you don't really have time to think about it all that much. You're 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 involved with what you're doing then and there, you know. And so to kind of finally realize, like, oh shit, there's the summit. We're about to be on top, and then you start reflecting back on everything that it took to get there. Um, yeah, the emotions hit pretty hard.
All right, folks, was that too much of a cliffhanger? <laughs> so are you going to show up for the second half? I mean, fuck, what else are you doing? It's dark at 5 o'clock, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. I worked on it for a while trying to figure out a spot. There's so much meat, so much meat to cut into. Anyway, if you're listening to this on the day I put it out, you got a couple days to wait for the tweener that'll finish this thing up. Some great revelations in the second half. But most of you probably can just click right over to it. And you can follow Jordan, Jesse, Matt over on Instagram with varying levels of engagement. Also, Matt has a new YouTube series over at his YouTube channel called Never Skip Dinner. It's like climbing and cooking. And eventually there'll be an episode that I appear in, maybe. I'm in the trailer, so hopefully I made the cut on top of Castleton. All right, the holidays can be trying for climbers, at least here in the Northern Hemisphere. It's cold, the days are short, you have all these obligations. You can go ice climbing. There's some places you're still rock climbing, but you know what I mean. And if you end up at that holiday party trying to explain to your aunt or uncle how you don't actually climb without ropes like that Honnold guy, or you mostly don't, well, don't say mostly. Actually, just say you don't and move on. All right, it's not worth it. Definitely not worth it. But it's still a good place to check your knots. Guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. Then one day I was driving my little boy to school and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car and I'm driving to work. And all of a sudden it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out. So they judged everything. And they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. <sighs> Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions. You know, questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to 16 when he passed away. <laughs>